0: Thank you.
1: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 57 of the Napoleon Bonaparte podcast. My name is Cameron Riley. You're on the podcast network. And with me, as always, uh, the man that Angelina Jolie goes to whenever she has a fight with Brad Pitt so she can cry on his shoulder, J.
2: David Markham.
1: How are you, sir?
2: I'm very fine Cameron. I think you're going to start getting uh mail from Angelina Jolie's uh attorneys uh with these uh, remarks but uh it's uh, you know as long as uh, you 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 get away with it that's that's fine with me she can cry on my shoulder, you know, whenever she wants to, and and uh, then Brad Pitt can come and knock my head off my shoulder, I suppose, but uh, at any rate, how you been, my friend?
1: I'm uh, very good, sir, and with us uh, again for the third time, uh, Nicholas Stark, welcome back, Mr. Stark.
3: Greetings, hello. <laughs> what
1: was that? <laughs> Greetings, what are you Vincent Price <laughs> or something today?
2: I think, I, I, I think he's, uh, he's getting full of himself here, we'll have to <laughs> knock him down a bit now um although I must, I must I must say uh you uh, uh let me think about this for a second but I kind of think aren't you the first one the, the first one camera we've had on for three times uh no you had
3: uh, Alexander, uh, Alexander Micabrezzi I think, I think
2: yeah. that's right Alexander was on three times as well well you're in very good company <laughs> yes, <he> is. <laughs>
1: Now, before we jump into uh, talking about Haiti once again, I want to. Uh, I think we should spend a few minutes responding to some of the uh, comments that we've had on the blog. Again, we've had a lot of uh, great support from the audience telling us that they enjoyed the uh, last show as well. Um, Andrew Lawson says, Nick Stark gave a fantastic talk. It's nice to know that young people are still getting involved in historical studies. He certainly knows his subject. Uh, Ray from Luxembourg says, greetings from Luxembourg, I enjoyed every second of this podcast, keep up the good work. Daniel from Ontario and Canada says, I love this podcast, it's an excellent way to learn about Napoleonic history and be entertained. keep up the good work. Um, But then we had uh, a chap called Rory who says, uh, I don't know where Rory's from, (coughs) but uh, he says he's a long time listener of the podcast and has to admit that he's always enjoyed it. I've always waited with bated breath for the next episode. However, hearing David Markham trying to defend slavery and our guest expert Nick qualifying Napoleon's racism as some sort of humane racism, I couldn't believe my ears. I'm pro-Napoleon, but this was just astounding. I may be overreacting, but at least I'm not spending the guts of an hour defending racism and slavery. Well done, Cameron, for your views, but I think I'm gone with this podcast and unfortunately take leave of this show from now on. Even worse, my view of David and his... Uh, I think he means work up to now. One, oh no, he's up to now. Wonderful expertise has probably been irreversibly tainted. Sorry for what appears to be a rant, but I feel quite strongly about this. Well, well,
2: that- l- let me let me let me jump in. Uh, oddly enough, uh, and and I've not seen that post. I've been so busy, I've not had a chance to read the the post recently. Uh, and Roy, uh, I, I I'm. I, apologize if you have misunderstood what I've said, but if you go back, I think you will find uh, that I made it very clear that slavery was abhorrent, that, uh, you know, slavery, even though it's been around since the beginning of ancient civilizations, is something that nobody can justify, that nobody can support. Uh, I'm the last person in the world who would support uh, racism any more than I would support all sorts of other terrible things that 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 humans have been known to do to other humans? So, <clears throat> if there's anybody out there who who somehow has misinterpreted my remarks, uh, please be assured it is exactly that a misinterpretation. Uh, that said, uh, am I willing to look historically? at situations that have led to, to this thing or that thing happening and even though I do not support what happened uh, at least being able to acknowledge the the forces that created uh, whatever it was that happened yes of course uh, to, to understand why something happened is not to justify why something happened. To interpret things in the context of the time in which they took place is not to say that they were nevertheless justifiable, simply that they were understandable. Uh, there's a very big difference there, and, and, and I think people need to, to understand that. Uh, and you can say that about about a lot of Napoleonic things. I've said many times on this show. Was he as progressive on a number of issues as as I would as I would be today? Uh, no, and as I think he would be today, probably not. But in the context of his time, he was very very progressive. Uh, do we all wish he had done something different regarding slavery or any number of other things? Well, sure we do, but you know we cannot let something like this, you know, completely taint our, our view of Napoleon. Uh and and with all respect, uh I, I would I would really be saddened to hear that, you know, a, a misinterpretation or even a just dis- an out and out disagreement uh with me on this issue would would taint this gentleman's uh view of Of me personally or of my uh, academic credentials or of my view of slavery, which again, I'll repeat myself, is that it is one of those aspects of humanity which is the most abhorrent to me. And and should be to to anyone else. I mean, there's there's a few other things up there with it that might even be worse in some respects, or or not as bad. You know, you talk about torture, for example, and some some other kinds of things. But but it's right up there, and uh, that's the way I feel. That's the way I've always felt, and and I really feel bad that uh, this gentleman uh, has has misunderstood that.
3: And if I may as well, since I was adjusting this as well. Um, adjust the fact that I also really did not none of my argument was meant i 'm going to assume that the problem is on my side and not explain it clear enough rather than assume that he um, misinterpreted just in case anyone else has the same um, things I was not as clear as well. I am opposed to slavery and to racism. My arguments were that it wasn 't entirely a race it wasn 't entirely race that motivated the point 's decision on the matter that there were other outside interests and was trying to explain from a nineteenth century French view from the common person, what it seemed like to show the other interests. And in fact, really, the other point I was making was that it wasn't atypical from what 19th century Western imperialist powers were thinking was the only case, saying that it's not unusual for the circumstance, for the position he was in to make the decision. That wasn't a moral justification. It wasn't an historical justification. It was historical explanation, and I think those two things can get conflated rather easily. So I want to make sure people understand that my argument was not that they were acceptable but rather I was trying to explain because to say slavery is a bad thing yes it's a bad thing but you can't just end an historical uh, you can't just end any historical discussion on it was bad you have to look into why it was bad why it was decided and so it sometimes offends people to look into these issues because these are very touchy issues but it has to be done and I apologize if looking into them has offended them or my presentation of my findings have offended people. They certainly were not intended that way.
1: Oh, you don't have to apologize, Nick. We offend people on this podcast all the time.
3: <laughs> Man, no, 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 Cameron. We usually leave that up to you, Cameron. <laughs> it's usually me. And Offending <clears> people <throat> for political opinions is one thing. Insulting people for views on, on humanity itself are another thing.
1: Well, you know, I think you've hit – you've both hit on uh, the perfect point, um, you know, I was having a, a a discussion or a debate with some other TPN hosts uh, just yesterday. They were they were slamming Oliver Stone for his decision to do a film about Hitler and Stalin and exploring their motivations. And these hosts were saying, well, you know, Hitler and Stalin were just evil. We don't need to understand their motivations. They were just bad guys. That's all there is to it. And I said, look, I disagree. I, you know, I think that we need to understand who these people were, why they did what they did, how they got into the positions of power that they did, what were the forces in their society at the time that allowed these terrible things to happen. And I think that's the point of exploring history, right? So we understand uh, how we got to where we are today.
2: Well absolutely Cameron and you know in the case of Hitler and 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 Stalin uh, you know two of the 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 the, the, the great monsters in, in in history is as far as I'm concerned and you can you can argue the toss as to which one was worse I actually in some ways think think Stalin was worse but but they're they're both you know in in, in a virtual tie as far as I'm concerned uh and you know maybe you could argue <clears throat> that We don't really care what was going on in their mind because they were simply pure evil. Uh, I'm not sure that I buy that argument, but the other part of what you said is absolutely correct. How were they able to do? Okay, if they were pure evil, fine, but what were they able to do? What kind of appeals were they able to make? What was going on in the culture, in the society, in the world, uh, economically, socially, politically, whatever, uh, that allowed – them to do what they did, to get themselves in the position where they could do what they did. Uh, that is, in fact, the essence of history. And the worse the aspect of history we study, the more important it is that we know everything we possibly can about that aspect of history, If, for the very least, to make sure we don't allow it to happen again, uh, that we know what to look for, we know what kinds of things to be on the lookout for. Now, whether Oliver Stone is the is the best choice to 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 provide this historical context or not, that's a that's a fair you know debate. Some folks love Oliver Stone, some folks absolutely detest Oliver Stone. Uh, I think he's he done some good and some bad, but but the basic point that you need to understand not just the good things in history, but the bad things as well, and maybe the bad things even more so, so you can avoid them. That, I would think, would be really obvious to anyone.
1: Yeah, and, uh, you know, I tend to be fairly disdainful of supernatural explanations for things, and uh, consequently I don't like the word evil. I don't like the suggestion that uh, people are motivated by some sort of uh, supernatural force. Uh, Human beings do things because of, uh, you know, either they've got, biological malfunctions or because there's right. things that have happened to them in their lives or belief systems that they've adopted, etc. And we, as you yeah. correctly say, we need to, we need to understand those things. We need to be brave enough to shine a light in dark places. If we're going yeah. to truly understand what makes human beings tick.
2: And I don't think evil necessarily means supernatural. A person can be evil just just you know because their their mind is twisted, whether it's because of experiences in childhood or because of a you know a, a, some kind of uh genetic uh, m- malfunction uh or, or or whatever other reason you want to come up with i don't I don't think of someone who's described as evil as being ascribed to as a supernatural I think you know but whatever whatever caused it. Experientially, or or physiologically, or whatever, we need to understand it. Uh, but anyway, we are rambling on and on about uh, about something that does not necessarily relate uh, to well, what we're doing was, because right, Napoleon actually, was definitely not evil.
1: Well, I have a segue here. See, it was, ah. this is all part of a grand plan, Markham. If you'd let me, you know, like, finish. So I wanted to. I wanted to ask. If I let
2: you finish, we'd never get to anything. But go on.
1: Oh,
2: <laughs> hello, yes, Mr. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Pot. This is the kettle yeah, calling. I was going. I was going to say we're going to get to the pot and kettle real yeah. quick on this. Um, as you're both
1: Americans and uh, expert historians, I wanted to ask you if there's any truth <laughs> in Pat Robertson's assertion that. um <laughs> The Haitian slaves made a pact with the devil 200 years ago in order to free themselves from the hated clutches of Napoleon Bonaparte's regime. This is, of course, a a, a very carefully thought through theory that uh, Pat Robertson, extreme intellectual, put forwards, uh, I think, around the beginning of 2010 – um, as his explanation for the terrible, uh, you know, things that had happened uh, in, in Haiti, in the earthquake, etc. So, um, uh, did N- Nicholas, in your research, the, the the very very careful research you've been doing on Haiti uh, for this show over the last month or so, uh, have you uncovered any primary sources, any evidence to uh, back up Mr. Robertson's claims that there was in fact a pact with the devil?
3: <laughs> no, although it's in fact uh, on a slightly interesting note, somewhat related to that. Uh, Tucson actually, being the, the very strong Catholic that he was, cracked down what he thought were pretty much devil-worshipping by cracking down on the practice of voodoo inside of Haiti. So in fact they tried almost the exact opposite. They were afraid of of devil encroaching and of other satanic forces encroaching on them if you really want to ask me on about, uh, about crazy Americans. <laughs> if any
2: you know, first of all uh, Pat Robertson is a national embarrassment and humiliation let's let's be very clear about that and i'm I'm sorry that I have no doubt friends and 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 even some relatives out there who who will greatly disagree with me uh anything that he says, I assume the exact opposite will be uh the case uh so you know uh I think Nick is exactly right. If you look at the facts, and Robertson is one of these people who never let facts get in the way of an opinion, uh, you know, you will you will discover that uh, exactly the opposite was the case.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, on to uh, perhaps more serious matters. Um, you know, Nick, you, you mentioned briefly in the towards the end of the, our last episode. Uh, Something that I wanted to spend a little bit more time exploring today, if we can. Uh, In 2005, a French writer and philosopher, Claude Riebe, uh, who's uh, himself Caribbean uh, in origin, wrote a book uh, where he presents a thesis that Napoleon was the uh, first person to use gas chambers as a method of mass execution. Um, What? It it caused... uh, uh, ...fairly uh, major political and, and academic uh, storm in France at the time. Uh, it was published, I think, to coincide with the uh, 200th anniversary of Austerlitz. And uh, it was uh, you know, just after the, the anniversary of Haiti's revolution. <laughs> but he basically made the claim that Napoleon's men... ...would put up to 100,000 black slaves in Haiti into the hulls of ships and then burnt sulfur that they collected from nearby volcanoes to make sulfur dioxide gas and uh, invented the gas chamber. Um, so, Jesus. <laughs> uh, now, I, I, I haven't read the book, and I've been actually looking for a French historian, Pierre Branda. Wrote a critical analysis apparently of Ribb's book after it came out, stating that it was based mostly on suppositions and that there were very few sources quoted or referred to, and and lots of omissions uh, where those source where where he did use sources there were lots of omissions. But I haven't been able to track down that either. So Nick, I'm wondering um, in your investigations if you've come up uh, against this assertion, and um, you know what you've discovered.
3: Well, first of all, I think it's the beginning of a slightly good trend, a bad book setting off a good trend in the fact that there is a, there is a major lack of uh, French historiography on Caribbean studies and slavery in relation to themselves for multiple reasons. But it's good that there's interest in it, just bad that the results weren't uh, weren't from better accredited intellectuals or historians. But uh, it seems that the more I looked into it, it was just that. It was based on… Uh, Very scant documents based on very low-level officials, very scattered, very vague reports that he made very grandiose claims on. Uh, I found that there were accusations on a much smaller scale of there actually having been used uh, similar things, using the poisons uh, from the sulfur to kill people. So it's quite possible that on a smaller scale, you might have had maybe up to a few hundred perhaps done in that way. No mass campaign to use that, though. There's, I found zero evidence of anything like what the person's accusing on um, anywhere near the scale. And it's surprising because there's, not, there's enough atrocities that were committed that you really don't have to make up events like that or try to make grandiose genocide stories when you already have a large amount of actual factually, fact, actually factual-based claims of mass drownings and hangings and some burning alive. And some other things we'll get into if we discuss the campaign in more detail of the Haitian Revolution. But basically, cut it short, no. This guy's work is uh, – on the scale he's describing is just crackpot, supposing.
1: He was apparently appointed a human rights commissioner by the prime minister of France uh, around about this time. So the guy is obviously has some – or had some credibility inside of France. Um, I'd be really interested to get him on and we have a chat to him see what
3: he has to say. But uh, right. I'm not it's not that he can't. Not that a good person or who has good areas and who has good expertise in some areas, he doesn't seem like a bad person overall. I just think this work was really did not live up to whatever reputation he has. Sometimes people just have an off book, and this one really seems to be his off book.
1: Well, you know, it. it, it I think it's relevant and, and um, worth uh, discussion on the show because if you if you do a Google search for Napoleon and Haiti. This is one of the most common claims that you're going to find out there on the interwebs, is this idea that uh, Napoleon ordered mass genocide of Haitian slaves. And, um, you know, uh, from what I can tell in interviews that I've read with this Claude Ribb character, the book, by the way, was called The Crime of Napoleon, Le Crime de Napoleon. Um, He uh, says that he found some accounts written by French soldiers at the time who who refused to take part in these actions. Uh, So it would be interesting to actually try and get a copy of this correspondence and have a look at the primary source material.
3: But uh, as also the question is, would Napoleon have authorized such a thing? And I found Napoleon, in some of the instructions, uh, suggested that in all that war would be launched. But details – and the the details of the atrocities, specific atrocities they committed, um, I found zero evidence of of Napoleon telling them to commit this many drownings or use these methods to kill people. Um, just the fact that you can use all-out war methods from uh, at this certain phase of, of the campaign.
1: Well, we actually do have archival copies of Napoleon's orders to Leclerc, etc., from uh, 1801, which I'm sure mm-hmm. you've read. I mean, there's absolutely right. nothing in his orders that uh, even suggests that kind of violence. In fact,
3: it's a very measured response. Right. And I think that's really the main problem is that I was discussing last time Napoleon and, uh, and racism. Regardless of whatever his views are, most of the decisions would be made by local French commanders who undoubtedly uh, have no defense for were outright racist. Some of them solely towards mulattoes. Some of them solely towards blacks. And largely upon their initiative, they would, they would inter- reinterpret these orders and commit them on different scales. So racism does play a large factor in the running of the campaign. Just not necessarily in the organization and planning of the original campaign.
2: Well, and that's that's an important thing to uh, to take note of, uh, Nick. And you know, I don't want to be seen as an apologist by 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 certain people, but the reality is that Napoleon is in France, and he's got local commanders on the field in Haiti. Uh, and any any campaign you can find. Uh, examples of where the 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 local commanders on the field have not necessarily followed the the desires of the central command, which was a long long uh, way away. A very good example of that was in in Malta uh, when on the way to uh, Egypt. Of course, Napoleon spent <clears throat> six days in Malta, and he totally reorganized the the island's uh, governance. Uh, uh freed the slaves by the way uh, just for those of you who are interested in slavery he freed the slaves on malta gave jews the right to to worship as they wished and, and had the authority to, to build a synagogue uh got rid of the the the, uh, the, the knights uh templar uh who who were a, a decrepit uh, medieval uh uh throwback uh and left a small uh you know, occupying army there to to maintain order, uh, but had he had set up a government of of Maltese by Maltese, uh, and he he and his soldiers looted the treasures of the knights because the Maltese didn't like the knights any more than than, than Napoleon did, and didn't care about those treasures. When he left, he left orders that the the churches of the people, the Catholic churches of the people, were were not to be looted. But one of the generals, his name escapes me, forgive me, uh, who was more interested in his own aggrandizement, his own accumulation of wealth, uh, in fact, uh, looted those churches. And as a result, turned the people of Malta Forever against the French, even today, the French are not real highly thought of uh, by many people uh, on Malta. The, the Brits eventually came in and, and made them a colony for 180 years or whatever. And, and they, they have a much higher opinion of the Brits than they do of the French who actually gave them you know a, a democracy. Uh, and the reason for that was this looting. So that's one example of where... The direct orders and authority of the central command, in this case Napoleon, who of course was on his way to Egypt, were completely ignored, not even misinterpreted, completely ignored by the local commander on the field. The same thing I believe, as you were suggesting, is what happened uh, uh, on Haiti regarding the the treatment of of the folks there.
1: And I actually have um, this uh – copy of the commands that Napoleon gave to his brother-in-law Leclerc before he set out for Haiti and if you guys will oblige me I might just read some of it. Sure uh, It says instructions on internal policy relating to the blacks and their leader. The French nation will never give irons to men it had recognised as free therefore all the blacks will live in San domingue as they are today in Guadeloupe. The conduct to be observed relating to the three periods of which it was spoken above During the first period, one will disarm only the blacks who would be rebels. During the third, one will disarm all the blacks. During the first period, one will not be exacting. One will negotiate with Toussaint. One will promise everything he may ask for in order to take possession of the places and to get in the country. When that first goal will be achieved, one will become more exacting. One will intimate to him the order to categorically answer the proclamation of my letter. One will enjoin him to come to the cap. In the interview which one can have with Moïse, Dessalines and the other generals of Toussaint, one will treat them well. Uh, Of all the principal agents of Toussaint, whites and coloured men must during the first period be indistinctly heaped by kindness, confirmed in their grades, and during the last period be all sent to France with their grades if they have behaved during the second period and deported if they misbehave during that same period. All the blacks who are in place must, during the first period, be flattered, well-treated, but generally one should try to take out their popularity and their power. Toussaint, Moïse and Dessalines must be well-treated during the first period and sent to France during the last period, arrested or with their grades, depending on the behaviour they will display during the second. Raymond has lost the trust of the government, one will seize him and one will send him to France at the beginning of the second period as a criminal. Uh, Toussaint will be subdued only when he will come to the Cap or to Port-au-Prince amidst the French army to pledge fidelity to the Republic. That day it is necessary, without any scandal, without any insult, but with honour and consideration, to put him on board of a frigate and send him to France. If possible, arrest at the same time Moise and Dessalines, or pursue them to the bitter end, and then send to France all the white followers of Toussaint, all the blacks having had positions and suspected of malevolence. Declare Moïse and Dessaline traitors to the country and enemies of the French people. The troops will take the field and take no rest before getting their heads and disperse and disarm all their partisans. If after the first 15 or 20 days it is impossible to bring back Toussaint, it is necessary in a proclamation to declare that if during so many days he is not coming to take the oath of the republic, he is declared traitor to the country and at the end of the delay one will start war to the knife. A few thousand blacks wandering in the hillocks and looking for refuge in these rustic lands must not prevent the Major General from considering the second period as ended and to arrive quickly to the third one. Then the moment to assure forever the ownership of the colony to France has arrived. And the same day, one must on all points of the colony arrest all the men in place who would be suspected, whatever their colour be, and embark at the same time all black generals, whatever their manners, their patriotism and the services they had rendered, observing meanwhile to let them go with their grades with the assurance that they will be well treated in France. All the whites who served under Toussaint and who, in the scenes of Saint-Domingue, were covered with crimes will be sent to Guiana. All the blacks who behaved, but that their grades won't allow any more to remain on the island, will be sent to Brest. All the blacks or coloured men who misbehaved, whatever their grades will be, will be sent to the Mediterranean Sea and dropped at a harbour on the island of Corsica. If Toussaint, Dessalines or Moïse would be taken bearing arms, they will be within 24 hours judged by a military commission and shot by a firing squad as rebels. Whatever would happen, one thinks that during the third period, one must disarm all the Negroes, whatever the party they will be, and put them back to cultivation. All the individuals who signed the constitution should at the third period be sent to France, some as prisoners, the others free as having been compelled to do so. The white women who prostituted themselves to the blacks, whatever their rank will be, will be sent to Europe. The flags of the regiments of the National Guard will be taken away. New flags will be distributed and the regiments will be reorganized. One will reorganize the gendarmerie. Do not accept that any black, having had a grade above captain, remains on the island. The Ile de Tortue will be used as a depot for the black prisoners. Some warships or frigates can serve for the same purpose. And that's the end of his instructions for what happens... Uh, and regarding internal policy in the blacks, from what I've been able to find, no mention of genocide, no mention of sh- you know uh, firing squads apart from those that have been given the uh, opportunity to you know say an oath to the republic and uh, return to France but
3: refuse. Um, if I may say there are there are actually two points that you can observe as well from the instructions, uh, one of them being the fact that the amount of delay you can definitely see between the between uh, what's going on in mainland France and news coming in from Saint-Domingue as well. Moïse at this time, this is composed at the end of 1802. October 1802, Toussaint himself executes Moïse even though he's his own cousin because he accuses him of causing uprisings that start in uh, in response to the authoritarian regime of Toussaint. He has his own cousin executed. So Moïse doesn't even exist anymore. That Napoleon doesn't know he's drafting up the, the directions. And second of all, the person – then also demonstrates the point of the expedition when it was first sent out was – when the point sent it out, it was before he had reached any decision on slavery, even in Guadeloupe in 1801, just set out the Peace of Amiens, the preliminaries, nothing decided yet. And he says the two people you execute are Moïse and Dessalines, who are both famous for their very strong anti-white sentiments and who actually were responsible and were famous for – uh, massacres of whites and attacks on whites so these are the people he puts in charge if it was about slavery he probably would have also included toussaint on the execution list since that was his main platform apart from forced labor was you know make sure you resist slavery at all cost i, I think the instructions kind of hint at where exactly his mind is when he first sends this out that it's the civil war he cares about when he first sends it not the issue of slavery
1: Any more thoughts, David?
2: Well, I I, I agree with uh, Nick completely. Uh, you know, you can <coughs> excuse me. You can listen to that uh, uh, order that you read, and there are certainly aspects of it which are you know at least somewhat troubling. But the the, the reality is that yes, he has a civil war potentially on his hands, and he has to be concerned that uh, those people who who, uh, support the French and, and behave properly as it were, <coughs> excuse me, uh, are, are well-treated, are allowed to keep their ranks, et cetera. And, and those, uh, as in the case with any civil war who, who, uh, you know, are involved in inappropriate activities need to be dealt with. Uh, but there's absolutely, as Nick says, there's nothing in there that says, let's get rid of them all, uh, nothing in there that says, let's, uh, subdue them with, uh, Extraordinarily inhumane measures, uh, and uh, you know anyone who suggests otherwise is simply wrong.
1: I mean, this is the guy that.
2: Uh... Oh. You all right there, David? Yeah, I just had a little cough there. Sorry, I, I tried to cover things up, but maybe you heard me.
1: <laughs> it was just
2: microphoney sounds.
1: Um, this is the same guy who, when there was civil war on the streets of Paris you know put cannons in the streets of paris and fired off the famous whiff of grape shot to stop civil war i think nick you said in the last one of the last couple of episodes napoleon aboard civil
3: war french fighting french he wouldn't stand for it and-, oh, and i think as well making if i may say Cameron, making that same point to that what happened after the whiff grape shot was the disarmament of the whole se- of the whole section around paris is exactly what he orders done on haiti isn't Genocide. Right. It is disarm everyone involved. He, he takes the exact same approach to the exactly. way he takes the insurrection. A-
2: after the grape shot at the uh, Church Saint Roch, uh, the 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 Directory orders Napoleon to disarm the sections because at that point it is the sections of Paris that are potentially going to engage in civil war, uh, and you know there is absolutely nothing wrong. With that approach, that is a humane, legitimate approach to maintaining order and the protection of of the government. Uh, it also has to be said that on more than one occasion, including when he comes back after Waterloo, uh, uh, you know, regarding the Vendee and other things, and, and, and very early in his career as well, he refuses to engage in activities. That might start a civil war, including the, the 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 potential effort that many urged him to take of taking command of the forces and and uh, fighting the allied armies and whatever royalist forces the the French had uh, in in the field and in in essence leading one side of a French civil war. He he feared civil war. Remember, he was raised in a civil war uh, in Corsica. And he understood, you know, what a disaster that could be. So... He did not want a civil war, and in Haiti he wanted to do everything he could to avoid the possibility of a civil war, particularly one that would do great damage to French interests and yeah, he was obviously concerned with with French interests in haiti. Haiti you know was was important to to to, to france and and he wanted to make sure that uh, that situation remained stable, and there's nothing less stable than a nation engaged in a civil war.
3: And I think it's also worth examining the force that Napoleon has put together. In charge, as the commander of this whole expedition, he puts his own brother-in-law, Leclerc, who's married to his sister Pauline, in charge of the whole expedition. I think also emphasizes how strong of an importance it had. And they bring along – Leclerc and Pauline bring along their son with them as well. He brings Pauline with him to Haiti or to Saint-Domingue, and and they bring their son with them. More than that, the other commanders he brings with him… He brings uh, a chief of staff is, uh, if I'm probably going to mangle his name, Dujwa or Dugua, who had been left in charge of Egypt when Napoleon was in Palestine. Um, he also brought along uh, Boudet, who had been in charge of Dessay's advance guard at the Battle of Marengo, that was responsible largely for the victory. Right. Um, he brings along General Umbert. Who's a, who's a famous Republican who was who opposed to slavery at all costs. He makes one of his main generals. Umber had also led the invasion of Ireland in 1798 and established Ireland's first republic there, which is sometimes called the Republic of Connacht. So he has, has – Umber is famous for his ambitions there, and he brings along largely soldiers from the Vendée region to make up the 17,000 troops or roughly 17,000 troops he sends over there uh, in the first place. So it's a very it, – the approach and the composition is very much – it's an important – it's a very important mission, a lot of very uh, – a lot of tactical geniuses, but they're also largely devoutly Republicans and people who had fought in the counter-revolution in France during the revolution, in the Bonday. That,
2: that's a very, very good point, uh, Nick, very good point. Just uh, hearkening back
1: to this uh, document I was reading before, Napoleon's Orders to Leclerc, uh, there's a section here that I thought was also interesting to put uh, this in some uh, historical context, as you were saying before, David. It's, uh, the section's entitled Instructions on Foreign Policy Relating to the Americans and the Neighbouring Powers. And he writes, The Spaniards, the British and the <coughs> Americans are equally worried to see a black republic The Admiral and the Major General will write memorandums to the neighbouring establishments in order to let them know the goal of the government, the common advantage for the Europeans to destroy the Black Rebellion, and the hope to be seconded. If one needs it, one must ask for some supplies in America, in the Spanish Islands, or even in Jamaica. One must ask at Havana if one needs a thousand or so men in order to help to occupy the Spanish part of San Domingue. One must sequester for the benefit of the army all the goods found in the harbours and which belong to the blacks until one knows the conduct they will display. Declare the state of blockade of all the harbours where the rebels will be and confiscate all the vessels which will enter or go out. And here's the bit that I thought was most interesting. Jefferson has promised that as soon as the French army would arrive, all dispositions will be taken in order to starve Toussaint and to help the army. So Napoleon had obviously been having some kind of communique with Jefferson at this time, but I haven't been able to find copies of uh, those correspondences. That would be interesting to read, though, uh, what kind of correspondence was happening between Napoleon and Jefferson surrounding San Domingo at the time.
3: I don't remember if I have any Jefferson's letters to Napoleon specifically, but I do have a lot of uh, Jefferson's correspondence on the matter. I don't have my library right next to me currently, but... After the episode, I can send you the name of the book and I can post it or you can post it underneath the comments section. Um, yeah, Jefferson was act- – actively went after Napoleon and offered aid, and he would uh, – he was the only power apart from occasional British ships. It was the Americans who helped supply uh, the French even even amidst the, uh, even amidst the atrocities they were committing. It was the Americans who had initially traded under Adams, the first Adams, uh, John Adams, as uh, which originally supported Toussaint. Jefferson comes to power. And he realizes the danger of what he calls the Black Republic, even though it wasn't independent. And he he's – that's why part of my point in the last time that this wasn't solely a French – this wasn't the French were out, outside of the realm of reality and restoring this. Outside the realm of, humani- of humanity making this expedition, yes, but outside the realm of reality, uh, the, the United States was entirely on the same key as Napoleon was and wanted the campaign to succeed. And if the French didn't succeed, Jefferson thought then – that the Americans might be able to annex Saint-Domingue instead. So they were most interested to be involved in it.
1: So let's talk about some of these atrocities that you've um, referred to briefly a number of times. Um, As I think we mentioned in one of the last episodes, um, Leclerc's forces, once they got there, started dying uh, of yellow fever, uh, a virus that spread by mosquitoes, the yellow fever mosquitoes, which I believe originally uh, came out of Africa and uh, by this sort of period had ended up in the Caribbean. And uh, I think at one stage he was losing something like 30 to 50 men a day from yellow fever. Uh, He wrote to Napoleon at one stage saying, a man cannot work hard here without risking his life. And it is quite impossible for me to remain here for more than six months. My health is so wretched that I would consider myself lucky if I could last for that time. The mortality (laughs) continues and makes fearful ravages. And, of course, as we know, I mean, it uh, killed Leclerc. But, um, you know, he uh, was losing hundreds and hundreds of men quite quickly. But at the same time, there were these great uh, horrific uh, things going on at the behest of the French troops. Let's let's shine a light on some of those, Nick.
3: Right. Um, well, the atrocities didn't begin uh, immediately. It's not on the the French side. Um, they landed on second of February, or the clerk second of February in uh, uh, in Le Cap in the northern region. Uh, he comes in, and instead of any negotiations, the town is burnt. Which, uh, uh, you know, Henri uh, Christophe, one of Toussaint's right hand man, burns down the city, and from the beginning. Toussaint declares that it's going to be a war without mercy on their part. And in effect, it's not to it's not to say that um, the French wouldn't resort to atrocities. It's actually the first one to make that part of the war strategy would be uh, Toussaint, who says on 8 February, a couple days later, uh, he says, Don't forget, while waiting for the rainy season, which will rid us of our foes, that we will have no other resource than destruction and fire. Bear in mind that the soil bathed with our sweat must not furnish our enemies with the small sustenance. Tear up the roads with shot. Throw corpses and horses into the fountains. Burn and annihilate everything in order that those who have come to reduce us to slavery may have before their eyes the image of hell in which they deserve. So they begin <laughs> uh, in part, especially uh, Dessaline, uh, the other of uh, the major commanders who's important to memorize. Uh, Dessaline in particular makes sure that any time white people come into his control that he massacres them in particular. And Tucson is very much in favor of… Um, of Using any kind of flame, sometimes they burn people alive. Uh, and they're definitely very big on poisoning fountains and burning down any property that they get hold of. Um, once that begins, immediately that sets off a very bad tone. Uh, Leclerc immediately reprises by ordering drownings and executions. I mean at one point, especially after the first <clears throat> year, they landed in 1802, um, especially by uh, – right after the rainy season, which didn't begin immediately. I mean To give the Haitians a lot of credit, they did an amazing defense from February into April when the rainy season began by attacking them, destroying a whole large number of French troops, exhausting them so they'd be specifically a lot, that much more susceptible in their weakened state to the Yellow Fever. Um, but especially once the Yellow Fever comes along, Leclerc kicks up the atrocity level on his own part because he says that… He says, I can't even hold out till October, he tells Napoleon. Now, he doesn't report that the Haitians are doing major damage. He just says, I'm losing large numbers of people to yellow fever, and we need to reinforce our positions. And he says, I have to take up a campaign of terror because terror is the only resource left to me, which definitely in no way is a justification of terror. But in effect, his losing position, he becomes more desperate, and while he's losing, he decides uh, to kick up the notch. He has… Up to five hundred people at a time drowned in the area around Le Cap, which is in the very north part of, uh, in the very northern part of Saint-Domingue. Uh, so, it's now called Cap HN I think it is. But largely drownings are committed under Leclerc, as well as more people being burned alive uh, who, as well.
1: Who was he drowning, though, Nick? Are we talking um, rebels or are we talking civilians? <sighs>
3: I haven't found as much general civilians. Generally, any kind of anybody they captured would be subject, or at least at risk of having this happen to them, um, which is definitely a violation of the rules of war. That that the French would hate upon the the Ottomans for for not, and the Mamluks for not following, or more specifically the Mamluks. But the French do the same thing here. Uh, they they do these largely to any prisoners and to anybody that they find that openly supports the uh, the rebels. or as they considered the rebels, but we would probably call the Haitian revolutionaries uh, at this point. Um, They did bring over large scales. The atrocities would really be leveled uh, a lot higher. When Leclerc dies in early November 1802, he's replaced by a man by the name of Rochambeau, who is directly related to the famous Rochambeau from the American Revolution. In fact, this Haitian Rochambeau worked as aide-de-camp to his father the famous one for the American Revolution. Um, he was particularly racist, especially against the uh, the mulattoes. He he imported 1,500 dogs, um, I think from Cuba in, in particular, uh, that he goes out of his way to train to make sure, to see if he can train them to attack blacks in, in particular. Um, and there's a lot of gruesome sights. Like one time, one of his commanders, when the dogs weren't attacking this black man they had tied down, he went over and used his sword to slice open part of the guy's body. And you, and then the dogs would attack it, sending the, smelling the blood on it, supposedly. But uh, the use of dogs was definitely uh, was definitely highly atrocious, although that was not a French invention and uh, not peculiar for imperialists at the time. The British did the same thing in Jamaica recently, as did the Spanish in Cuba. But um, it's still the fact that they would use these dogs. Um, drownings – from what I found, drownings were definitely one of the more popular ones for the French – because the French in the campaign would get pushed back a lot, but they would—they always maintained the port cities until the very end. And so drowning was the easiest resort they had. Uh, that also wouldn't cost anything as well. You just toss them overboard and drown them to death. Or well, I guess drowning implies they dying, but you get the point. <laughs> and yeah. then Leclerc himself, before he died, in fact, had suggested to Napoleon. Although Leclerc doesn't doesn't initiate as much of the of the terror. He does, he does consider a lot of it and begins putting into practice that would be escalated by Rochambeau. But he sends to Napoleon that he wants, the, he wants authority to um, attack the blacks in the mountains, which largely large part of Western um, – the, the area called Western Saint-Domingue, which is the center of the island, is largely mountainous. And in order to pursue them into the mountains, uh, he suggested that he have authorization to be able to slaughter men uh, and women – all men and women he came across, and everyone except for children under the age of twenty, um, in order to pacify the region, which is horribly barbaric. So there were atrocities planned. He didn't put as he didn't really put that as much into effect. I said that would be Raschmbo in 1803 when the war renews um, at a higher pace. So those are the main atrocities that uh, I come across. At one point. Um, I think they have – the highest rate they have at one point is 500 drowned at a time, um, at which point, though, um, the, the Haitians retaliated with revolutionary violence. And it was said that whenever – for every man that, that Leclerc or Rochambeau would have killed, uh, Dessaline would make sure he massacred that many. As they said, when 500 were executed around Le Cap and drowned, uh, Dessaline would bring about 500 whites around the corridor of the town, and he would, uh, he would dispatch them just as cruelly and drown them and hang them. Uh, just as well to demonstrate to them, you can dish it out, we can take it, and we can dish it back out to you. Can you take it in return?
2: And this uh, is a very important point, point. and again, just so nobody misunderstands me, it does not justify this, that, or the other thing, but it's also true <clears throat> that we cannot point fingers to one side and be oblivious to the same kinds of atrocities being committed on the other side. Uh, There's a famous cliche, of course, war is hell, and it's true. And in this situation, both sides, wrongfully, shamefully, without justification, but nevertheless, both sides committed horrible atrocities, just like slavery itself. We tend to think in, in the Period we're talking about now of slavery being whites making black slaves we oftentimes forget that where did the black slaves come from that came to the to to the Americas uh, well uh, many of them were members of one tribe rounded up by members of another tribe and sold to slavers uh, so there's there's plenty of blame to go around for for both Racial groups, and race is actually not technically correct, but blacks and whites. There's plenty of blame to go around between the Haitians and the French. The whole thing was, was, was terrible on you know, all sorts of levels. And the only point I'm really trying to make is let's not make Napoleon or even Leclerc to be some kind of monster when in fact there was all too much of this uh, going on.
1: Well, I, I think, you know, if you, you send an army to my country to try and put me into slavery, me, my, me and my people and my family, I'm going to arc up and uh, <laughs> do whatever I have in my power to stop that from happening. And I also well, you could, I think there's you a big can, you, difference between, you know, uh, fighting soldiers and, and committing atrocities towards civilians. Um, there's some big differences uh, there as well.
2: Well, and, and and I don't really dispute that, but but you know, atrocities are atrocities. You know, does 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 fighting for your 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 your, your nation uh, justify atrocities just because you're fighting against an occupying force? Are there not rules of war, rules of humanity that that say? Even if you are fighting for your country's uh, independence against somebody else, uh, you you still have to follow some basic rules of humanity. Uh, and I would argue you do, that you could be as sympathetic as you want to to, to the Haitian cause uh, and, and very justifiably and very understandably, but I don't think that that justifies for them – any more than the French can be justified in going against what we would call, you know, the the, the rules, the, the laws of humanity. Uh, I I just I, I'm just not prepared to give one side a, a pass on 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 that.
1: Well, I don't know. We we could debate that, but I think, as you said before, the the key thing that we want to explore in this show and and in this episode in particular is the accusation that Napoleon gave direct orders to his troops to commit atrocities, to commit mass genocide. And, you know, as I think we all agree, from the complete lack of evidence that we've been able to find, that's just a false accusation.
2: Not only is it a false accusation, it goes against all logic. You you know, if you are going to occupy a nation, you want to bring those people to your side. You you don't want to to rule by fear or or or, or by torture or, or or mass murders or whatever. You want those people to to want you to be there. And and so the idea that Napoleon would remotely think about going in and 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 doing these kind of atrocities is ludicrous. Look what he tried to do in in Egypt, a, a very comparable situation, a totally different culture. He did everything he could. To make the people of Egypt feel that the French were on their side, not to go in there and say we're going to rule by intimidation or we're going to kill all you bastards if you don't join us and so on he was trying to bring them to the side of the French cause and that is exactly what Napoleon wanted to try to do uh, in Haiti and the idea that he would order you know these atrocities you know is, is beyond ludicrous
3: but also, another side. Um, looking into the commanders, though, um, they're definitely. I really have a lot less sympathy with the French, um, with the French than I do with the Haitians, and even with, especially when it comes to uh, revolutionary violence. But you look at the, the the blatant racism of both Leclerc and Rochambeau, especially Rochambeau, when they're when they're going on in these regions. Rochambeau is, becomes famous uh, even while, while Leclerc's still alive because he talks about what he'd like to do to all the commanders. He doesn't trust a single one of the. Ah, uh, blacks who work for the French there, and initially their treatment of the natives is what dest- is a lot of what hurts the the cause. At one point in um July of 1802, the commanders actually turn over to the French uh, Toussaint, uh, Henri Christophe, and Dessalines all turn over to the French, but and and actually during the initial war phase and later on, the the mulattoes and another group of people called the the maroons, who were pretty much escaped blacks, had actually worked. Rather aggressively with the French to put down, uh, to put down the other people. But it was the it was it was the it was the blatant racism, the poor treatment of the blacks, and discrimination against the blacks and mulattoes that alienated all these original sources of support. Just because of the just because of the very poor running of both Leclerc and Rochambeau. Um. And another thing to tie into what I was talking about before, another area Napoleon didn't understand about the mentality of the whites on the island, and of … of the return to the old ruling classes, there was an interesting letter from uh, – that I found from a woman named Mary Hassel who lived through this that she sends to the, to the famous American Aaron Burr, um, whose famous for his duel with Hamilton, tries to run for president and so on. Um, and she talks about how she so desires to have everything back to the way they used to be. Um, he, he talks, she talks about Rochambeau and says he's considered the guardian as the savior of the people. The arrival – his arrival seems to have spread terror among the Negroes, and she goes on, I wish to reduce to order all that I might see so much the vaunted habitations, or term for plantations, where I should repose beneath the shade of orange groves, walk on carpets of rose leaves and francophone, and be fanned by silent slaves, where have my feet tickled into ecstasy by the soft hand of a female slave attendant. I mean the whites there fully expected – they didn't want a a return to slavery but in some more mild condition. They were – they could not fathom the great social change that happened before their very eyes. And it was really this the fact that there had been, that it wasn't fight just generic fighting and civil war for the past decade, that it was revolutionary, that it was a revolution, a social and political revolution that had occurred on the island that was not appreciated by most of the French forces and not by most of the French leadership.
1: Yeah, I guess we have to continually remind ourselves that at this period of history, you know. Uh, Extreme forms of racism were the norm, as uh, I know David said at the beginning of the show. And, you know, I, I'm thinking, okay, 1801, 1802, barely a decade previously, had the British invaded Australia and committed horrifying acts uh, against the indigenous population in Australia, which went on for a couple of centuries. So, you know, this was very widespread uh, sort of ethic, this, this racist ethic. And it's I guess it shouldn't surprise us that the uh, white Europeans that were part of uh, Napoleon's army that were sent to Haiti uh, displayed the same sort of extreme, uh, horrible racism that was the norm in the United States and in England and in all of the other colonial White colonial powers at the time,
3: but oh uh, no! Well, again, also, you're putting. Go
2: ahead, go ahead, please. No,
3: no, go ahead, David. Go right no, no, ahead. No, no,
2: you, you, go, go on, go on, Nick.
3: No, no mine's going to be on a slightly. What do you,
2: what do you speak for Christ's sake, Nick.
3: <laughs> All right, um, I was going to say I found one of the other on uh, a slightly different. I was looking into more into my notes on the uh, barbarity executed by some of the French when they were losing right before the rainy season, which in haiti at that time typically began around mid to late april um the executions of prisoners would reach seven were several hundred at a time and one time was uh and one time reached 600 at one moment which actually was rather bad for uh, which was especially shocking for french morale Uh, the polish regiments in particular um started actively not following these directions on the same side the haitians stopped on occasion performing the the mass burnings from the very beginning Toussaint and Dessalines were saying, scorch the entire earth flat, the entire island. We don't care if we can ever rebuild the island, but the French aren't getting it. And at one point, he actually has his commander in the north, uh, Maurepas, uh, some of his subcommanders, when offered by the French uh, revolutionaries, who said, you know, we worked alongside with you for the last 10 years. We're not going to restore slavery. You can trust us. We've been working with you. And these, some of these Frenchmen sincerely, who did sincerely who didn't actually think there was any chance of slavery being restored anywhere – and a lot of the black commanders realized, you know, you're right. We shouldn't be committing these things. What are we gaining from here? We're we trying to maintain an authoritarian regime that's not allowing us to plant food for ourselves. We don't get any share in this. Why are we burning down our entire island? So you have people on both sides who refuse to commit uh, the atrocities or who refuse to commit to the war effort as hardly. So it's, it is interesting to see that there are people who are, on a relatively large scale, who are revolted by the acts committed um especially on the french side but on part on the haitian side as well
2: and again that's not surprising because you know even even in other other times in history even think about you know the the, the nazi regime <clears throat> there were people who simply refused to participate or who actively worked uh you know, obviously behind the scenes, because being caught was 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 a grim possibility. Uh, to 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 circumvent uh, some of the Nazi uh, uh, policies, and and there's no question that that a, a lot of French soldiers and French officers must have been horrified at the kinds of things that were going on, and equally so, uh, there must have been lots of of of, of Haitian. Uh, soldiers, civilians, and officers who who also questioned, you know, what do we really gain by doing this? Will this really make us a better people or or a a a, a better uh, society? Uh, and uh, that sounded like somebody's dog. Uh, apparently, yeah, sorry, that's re- my room. I'm apparently, apparently, dogs- apparently reacting to my comment. <laughs> but, but you know, the point is, there's good, there's good and bad in all societies, in all groups. And let's make it very clear: uh, Leclerc and Rochambeau, and and no doubt some other lesser's uh, committed atrocities. And were they justified? No. Should those people have been brought to justice? Yes. And the Haitians committed atrocities. Were they justified? No. Should they have been brought to justice? Yes. But the bottom line, is, as I think Cameron was trying to get to a few moments ago, did Napoleon have any direct connection to any of this? Yes, he was the, the, the leader of, of France. He was the, the, the commander back in Paris. But did he personally have any relation whatsoever To these atrocities. More to the point, did he support them? Did he encourage them? Did he order them? Did he even really, truly, probably know about most of them? The answer in all cases is no. Was Napoleon a saint? No. Did he make mistakes? Yes. But is he responsible for the atrocities in Haiti? Absolutely not.
1: I just want to finish this episode by asking each of you, what do you think now of Toussaint Leverture? Nick, Nick, go ahead.
3: I'm really not uh, that much of a fan of him overall. His regime was uh, very highly militaristic. He's, I mean, he creates an agricultural class largely controlled by the military, uses the military in most aspects of life, brings back virtual slavery through his uh, forced labor regimes, um, he has his own cousin executed. He, he's not the best towards his uh, subordinates. He, his tactics. I think he's a largely intelligent man and very capable. And I greatly admire his opposition to slavery, which was his one consistent trait. But overall, I find his I find his methods way too, uh, way too barbarous. And I think his his abilities as a politician are are bad. So I respect in part the revolutionary, I don't respect the the statesman.
2: David? I agree completely. It is very fashionable, particularly on on the left in America, uh, within the historical uh, circles and and elsewhere, to idealize Toussaint L'Ouverture. And there's no question that, that Toussaint had his positive aspects, he did some good things. But like Nick says, there's a lot more there than meets the eye. There's a great deal more to Toussaint L'Ouverture than, than the, the caricature, the very positive caricature that we tend to get of him. Uh, it's admirable to oppose slavery. We all, again, to make the point, we all oppose slavery. But you look at the whole picture and he's a little bit less perfect than some people would, would try to, to make him out to be. So I think uh, I, I, I take my hat off to, to Nick Stark, who has done an extraordinary amount of research on this and frankly knows far beyond what I know on, on, on this subject without any question whatsoever. Uh, Thank you. But, but in the final analysis, uh, Nick and I agree uh, about Toussaint Louverture and about the campaign in general.
3: And my add Cameron, there were uh, – just a time more on some of the atrocities I found, especially when LeClerc was close to death in October he, in 1802. He would die in early November. Um, he reauthorized one of your favorite methods of, uh, of cruelty that the slave owners used to use, which is uh, uh, burying the slave – or burrowing, in this case, just blacks underground except for their head and putting them near insect hives and so on, was renewed. And at one point when, right after uh, one, of the, one of the Haitian commanders attacked one of his forces, um, it was at Le Cap, he then, during the, command, uh, during the siege, had ordered the, the blacks onto these ships out in, the, uh, out in the dock. And when the French won the battle afterwards, he ordered that uh, just about 1,000 of these black prisoners were just tossed overboard and drowned. So uh, in the final analysis, as much as, I, as much as I'm not a fan of Toussaint, I have to say that I find… Uh, Leclerc, but especially Rochambeau uh, to be war criminals, and this is definitely an incredibly disgraceful campaign on France and a horribly devastating campaign uh, for Haiti, uh, largely because of their own efforts in the process. They burnt most of the island down to a crisp and killed off most of the landowners and destroyed most people who had any chance of rebuilding the island. And it's also curious – it's also worth mentioning afterwards – Dessalines, the famous commander, will become emperor of Haiti, who he's actually later assassinated, but he, he returns the forced labor campaign and the, military running of, and the military reinforcement of the forced labor campaign. So little actually changes for the agricultural workforce after the war compared to before the war or under Toussaint. The only thing that would change is that their constitution would be a lot better than Toussaint's earlier one and a lot more – Progressive,
2: and I—I I nothing to add to that. I think I think Nick, your your analysis is 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 right on target. I agree completely that uh, you know I don't toss around terms like war criminal uh, lightly, but uh, Leclerc and Rochambeau uh, engaged in behavior that I can assure. All of our listeners, Napoleon would never have approved. This is not Napoleon style. It is not something Napoleon wanted uh, or would have approved of. Uh, And uh, yes, I think Napoleon himself, had he truly fully understood what was going on, uh, would have uh, recalled these two gentlemen uh, especially Rochambeau. He had a little bit of an issue with Leclerc as a, as a brother-in-law, uh, admittedly, but, but uh, he would recall these two gentlemen and there would have been some very, very serious discussions and I suspect some very, very serious consequences. Uh, but- Napoleon was not perfect. Napoleon, you know, sometimes was forced to do things he, he didn't really want to do, uh, but, but, but he, he wouldn't have put up with that crap.
3: If a, you don't mind, Cameron, if we have enough time, there were two uh, small tangents I'd like to go on if we have the time. I don't know sure. what your time are like over there. Well,
1: but before we get on that, I, I need to ask you. Sure. Is there any truth to the suggestion that one of the ways that Rochambeau decided uh, the manner of execution of his prisoners was to play rock, paper, scissors?
3: <laughs> that I have not heard. I haven't heard about his – his methods of choosing what he did. I just know what he chose to do in the end.
2: Apparently
1: that's what I wouldn't be no. knowing. That's what knowing called.
3: Rochambeau. That doesn't sound unlikely.
1: That's why it's no, Rochambeau now because it's, uh, he started playing rock paper.
2: now, 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 no, Nick, you have to sometimes be aware that as serious a student and young man as you are, Sometimes when Cameron begins to speak, you just have to sort of roll your eyes and say, <laughs> Okay, Cam, go for it. <laughs> All right, Nick. Anyway, go ahead and make your points, Nick. Let's hear them.
3: Yes. Um, one of them is actually one of the ironies. Um, not everyone makes this connection, but I think the connection is very real with uh, the defeat of the French campaign there in Saint-Domingue, uh, is largely the, one of the main impetuses for the. for the sale of Louisiana territory to the United States for fear that the British would then come through and conquer it afterwards, especially with the French not having the capacity to reinforce it. And also Louisiana mainly being – the Louisiana territory, that large, vast region, largely being meant – was actually considered being the source of the invasion instead of Saint-Domingue. But the plan was Saint-Domingue being the more prosperous one could then be used as a base to trade, therefore – from Saint-Domingue to, uh, to the mainland in, in Louisiana. So in effect, the, the removal of that res- largely resulted in the donation of the Louisiana territory to, to the United States. Um, and also, by extension there, the victory against slavery in Saint-Domingue resulted in the greatest expansion of slavery perhaps in history with the, expansion, the United States' expansion of slavery into the Louisiana territory so, the defeat of French slavery resulted in the great victory of American slavery
1: well that's that's something
3: <laughs> that's not that's not i can't you can't blame the Haitians for that, but in effect, indirectly, their victory against slavery results in great expansion elsewhere. But the other thing is to see the results of the war, i think just just a very brief overview of the constitution that comes out of the out of Haiti afterwards um is rather interesting. Like the first constitution of Toussaint, it abolished slavery forever. However, it also removed color distinctions between mulattoes and blacks and the maroons. It simply – it said all Haitians would be known only as blacks. Um, Whites, however, would be – would no longer be allowed to have uh, property claims, and uh, Dessaline would later uh, order the massacre of the remaining whites on the entire island. But whites by constitutional law were not allowed to own property or make any kind of uh, property claims. However, unlike the other constitution, there was no dominant religion, uh, there was freedom of worship allowed, and the state will not cover any expenses in any form for any religion or ministry, uh, which I think some other countries could use a bit of update on that. But uh, (laughs) outside of current political comment, um, it also allowed divorce in specific cases, although the constitution itself wasn't specific on it. It at least allowed for it compared to the earlier constitution, which forbade it in any sense. But also it emphasized the, the, the militaristic nature of the state. Instead of having things like départements like they have in France, the area was divided specifically into military regions, into six, into six military zones, um, and generally under military commanders. And the Council of State was comprised entirely of generals and were the only ones who could remove the emperor or appoint a successor. And yet again, like the other constitution, this one was not subject… To popular will was not subject to any kind of referendum or vote, and in fact, the wording of the of the name for uh, to name the emperor, who Dessalines would become the first emperor of Haiti, uh, was specifically said by constitutional law, and by the services he had done for the revolution, not because of any will of the people, or so on. So it's not it's still not democratic, but it is certainly a lot more progressive than uh, than Toussaint's constitution was even though Dessaline would be just as much of a tyrant, if not more so, and I would say more so than uh, Toussaint was.
1: Well, thank you for that, Nick, and um, I'm going to wrap it up by saying that as a result of the last three episodes, I actually, I a I learned a lot about this period and Napoleon's uh, influence uh, over this period, so I want to thank you for that. Um, secondly, I want to say that I've actually come out of it a bit of a fan of Toussaint. Um, Despite what you gentlemen were saying earlier, I mean, I think, uh, although he obviously wasn't perfect and made a lot of mistakes and did some bad things, uh, he was a rebel who tried to bring freedom from slavery to his people. And, uh, you know, I think he deserves a lot more credit than he sometimes gets. I think he was uh, a visionary and, and laid down his life to try and end slavery for the people of Saint-Domingue. And I think for that alone, he deserves our uh, enduring respect. And I'd like to finish with a poem by William Wordsworth uh, dedicated to to Toussaint L'Ouverture. But before I do that, um, any final words, Mr Markham?
2: Well, you and I and anyone can debate the 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 relative merits of of Toussaint L'Overture or anyone else. I I don't really have a, have a wild disagreement with you on the on the issue of slavery. Certainly, uh, what I've come away from uh, from these last uh, three episodes uh, is a renewed respect and admiration for the intellectual ability and the and the the academic. Uh, Accomplishments of a very very young man uh, who who is definitely going to become in the future, if he chooses to stay in this line of work, uh, one of the greats of of, of our field. Uh, he's a he's a, a very good friend of mine, and and I think anyone who's listened to you, Nick, will will be expecting uh, great things from you in the future. And by the way, we have uh, <clears throat> talked a little bit about. Uh, some research on your part uh, in, in, involving uh, uh, Ireland, and you have written on that subject already, uh, mm-hmm. and you're going to do some more. So whenever you're ready, you just let me know, my friend, and we'll, we'll bring you back on the show and, and uh, totally. uh, talk, about, uh, talk about another island.
3: Thank you for the extreme flattery, and that I would love to come back eventually at some point when I, uh, in a bit when I've consolidated my research to talk on Ireland which I think well, will actually be-, be the main thrust of my research.
2: I was going to say you're going to be doing a, a paper for the consortium uh, in, in 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 the winter. I I know, and I've I've actually sent you some material on that. So maybe by the time you've got that paper put together, uh, uh, you'll be willing to come back on the show and uh, give us a look. Uh, for those of you, by the way, in the St. Louis, uh, Missouri area. Uh, there will be coming up uh, at the museum there Treasures of Napoleon, uh, which is a magnificent exhibition of some very, very special Napoleonic artifacts from a, from a collection. And I am just now beginning to negotiate with them. They contacted me, but I may be sometime in the next several months in the St. Louis area uh, giving a uh, talk, and uh, uh, I, will, uh, I will fill you all in for those of you in that area who might like to, to get together. I'm also going to be in London on the 16th of of October giving a talk to the Friends of St. Helena, uh, and if, we, if there's people in that area who would like to, 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 to meet me and get together, we can work something out. I hope to be in the following week in Paris and Amsterdam. So if there are people in those areas who might like to, to get together and uh, buy me a, a glass of my medication or, or whatever, uh, I will be more than delighted to, to hear from you.
3: And Cameron, for me, just a, just a quick last word—not not a whole another subject. Um, even though we disagree on Toussaint, I would still like to announce I am a friend of the Haitian Revolution. I think just like the French Revolution, you don't have to be a fan of every one of the revolutionaries. Whether you support Mirabeau, Danton, Robespierre, whoever, I think in the same way. Without supporting Toussaint, I still am a fan of multiple of the revolutionaries, and I still like to say I am. Uh, this was a horrible spot. On French reputation historically and uh, definitely I'm glad to see – even though Napoleon uh, – I am a supporter of Napoleon. I am glad to see that the French efforts were uh, not successful there. I think it's much better for Haiti and for France itself that it did not win the war.
1: Agreed. And here's to an end of uh, colonialism for once and for all around the world. Here, here. Hira. Toussaint. The most unhappy man of men, whether the whistling rustic tend his plough within thy hearing or thy head be now Pillowed in some deep dungeon's earless den O miserable chieftain, where and when wilt thou find patience? Yet die not, do thou wear rather in thy bonds a cheerful brow? Though fallen thyself, never to rise again, live and take comfort Thou hast left behind powers that will work for thee Air, earth and skies There's not a breathing of the common wind That will forget thee Thou hast great allies Thy friends are exaltations, agonies and love And man's unconquerable mind
0: Amour sacré de la patrie Conduit soutien au Liberté, liberté chérie i <laughs>